Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Alfie Zimmer has taken the world of words by storm since the release of his literary debut. Grab your copy of Don't Look Up Here, You're Pissing on Your Shoes, printed on the inside wall of every roadside stop along I-73. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And today we are covering another short story from Everything's Eventual, all that you love will be carried away, and Josh is going to lead the discussion. Let's do it. I love, I'm so excited since we've been doing the Lisi episodes on Patreon, getting to do stuff just you and I. It's exciting. It feels nice. And this is a cool short story to kind of just play around with, you know? Yeah, and then we can speculate on what Ben would think, <laughs> and we can just assume we're right, and he'll have to defend himself he later. He can't stop us. <laughs> he can't stop us. <laughs> First question, have you read this one before? I have not read this one before, have you? Nice. Okay, I did read this, and the reason that I didn't remember that I'd read this is because... It was during the first Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby mm, Film Festival. Mm-hmm. This was one of the shorts, and it was right before our interview. And so I read <laughs> the story because I knew I was going to miss some of the short. <laughs> and I wanted to know what happened. Because I remember we made that haiku on, like, as soon as we had enough from the short to create the haiku, and mm-hmm. then we had to bolt <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man, that was stressful and fun. And very fun. I miss the festival. I do too. Listeners, I'm sure you all miss it too. But uh, All That You Love Will Be Carried Away is a story about Alfie Zimmer, who is a traveling salesman of microwavable gourmet foods. Is it all microwavable? I bet you could. Like? <laughs> I bet you could microwave it or bake it. Is this? Okay. Uh, what? <laughs> I didn't know. I, We're going down a path I didn't expect. <laughs> did you have the Schwan man? I, I didn't have him. I <laughs> knew of so, him. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean biblically. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very I, sorry. I, I, no. I didn't mean to insinuate anything. <laughs> I I saw his truck. We never had him. <laughs> <laughs> biblically or otherwise. Okay. Did did you? No, but I lived in a neighborhood where <laughs> others had him. Okay, did it seem like a super fancy So thing? fancy! Okay. It seems I, so classy! Yeah, I thought rich people ate frozen dinners. Yes! <laughs> like, oh my god, they can afford... The, sh- the <laughs> Schwan guy brings them their dinners. That's crazy. <laughs> We're so... <laughs> cute i know oh the midwest (laughs) i I hope it's more than just us but it feels a lot it feels like a midwest thing right now yeah it does listeners please weigh in on this important issue he even says at one point that this his demographic is like nebraska and missouri and Mm -hmm. iowa like the midwest (laughs) area (laughs) so he is Traveling, selling these to, I presume, stores, by the way, sounds like he's meeting, making accounts and not like just door to door. Yeah, he's been doing it for 20 years. So it seems like he has, it's it's bigger than just households. Mm -hmm. And early on, 
he says something that I didn't realize the importance of until later. Hmm. Or like, I guess I misappropriated the meaning. Yeah. It's because he's driving down. He's pulling into a motel. And uh, just before he gives us his rules for being in a motel, he says something about the Weather Channel can't say they can't agree if it's going to be stormy or not tonight, whatever. And he said, there's a good chance there's going to be a storm. It's going to block the roads. Not going to be a problem for me. And I thought, yeah, he travels all the time. He's used to driving in that kind of condition. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> there are a, I mean, we we find out what's actually going on very quickly, but yeah. there were a couple of things that is like, oh, that's why. And it's, it's, it's such a short story. It's like 20 some pages. It happens, our understanding occurs soon enough after these things that I remembered them instantly. It wasn't like on yes. a reread as like, oh, that's actually what that means. <laughs> and that, cause that's usually how that happens to me. The reveal is really well spooned out, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's good. It's good paste. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about his rules for motels? I think they make a lot of sense. As you mentioned, he has four rules mm -hmm. about having a good night's rest as a traveling salesman that I think you could apply to anyone traveling. The first one is always reserve ahead. Seems like a no-brainer. But, I mean, when this was written... That's very true. In 2002, <laughs> it was probably easier to just show up unannounced. Mm. Stay at a franchise if possible. I think that one speaks for itself. Yeah. That's the second one. The third one, always get a room at the end so you have at most one noisy neighbor instead of two, which is my philosophy for someday when I buy a home. I want to live on the end of a street but not by the road and preferably like on some dead end or by a cemetery so that anyone <laughs> in the neighborhood has to be quiet or just is quiet because they're sad. <laughs> uh, neighbors are rough, man. And four, ask for a room that begins with a one because those are non-smoking. But then if you're Alfie, smoke anyway, which is such a power move. <laughs> it really is. To be like the first person to fill a room with smoke. I, I don't smoke. I, I want to do that now, though. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that it's partially because uh, also he's I, my knees aren't going to do stairs. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, too. <laughs> but he arrives late. And uh, the parking space in front of his room is taken. So he, he parks a bit away. And as he's crossing to his motel thinking uh, save Russian Jews, collect fabulous prizes, or collect valuable prizes. I love fabulous more. <laughs> I hope you write that on a wall somewhere. It's, this phrase is so funny because of the way he repeats it to himself with no context. Yeah, we don't know why he's saying gibberish right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, he also thinks about the... His supplies, his samples in his trunk. And yeah. that's the other thing that he's like, oh, I'm not going to need them tonight or at all. I mean, he doesn't say it right. that way. But <laughs> I like that if you did the audiobook, that's how you'd read I, it. It would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but he's stopping and he looks across this open field that's next to the motel. And across the way, he can see this farmhouse. And there's a little light flickering. And he stands out in the cold. And just starts imagining the life inside the house. This, I'm, I still don't know how I feel about this. Because I'm like, okay, is this something 
that is a common red flag, just the fact that he's standing outside in the wind and the cold, and he is imagining in such detail that for a moment you forget that that that's just his imagining. That isn't necessarily what that family is. I, I even just said now necessarily like that could be because it's so detailed that maybe he's right. Right. It. In another Stephen King yeah, story, he's 100% yeah. right. Yeah, he would go to the farmhouse mm-hmm. and all those things would line up. And yeah. that would be what's spooky about That's the story. That's why it feels so right. Supernat- <laughs> it feels supernatural in a way. Yeah. But I, I still haven't worked through how I, not how I feel about this, but what it tells me. Because it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's giving us insight into his state of mind. Interesting. I Well, I think I agree with you, but I wonder if we're on the same page. Mm. So... At first, he is talking about the wife. The wife, he imagines, she's in the kitchen. She's making a, a cottager brand pea soup with their cottager brand roast beef and all this stuff. Because these are products he sold a million of to a million housewives. Uh, which I also tells you at a time he was doing door-to-door mm-hmm. with these. And then he imagines the husband in front of the TV, the the daughter in the bathtub, the son playing video games... And this just before dinner ritual. And at first, I thought he was kind of, he was doing the advertiser thing of, uh, I think they talked about it in the Colorado Kid too, where it's you imagine your one target client. Mm -hmm. And so everybody you sell to, you have this perfect client. What Mm -hmm. does the perfect client for my stuff look like? And so this is the family he imagines is that target. And he sold to these people a thousand times. Mm -hmm. The other idea is it's him looking at a life he wishes he had. Interesting. I guess I was thinking of it. And maybe this is unfair. I I think maybe I have this thought in retrospect, Mm -hmm. especially coupled with the way he describes the hotel room in a minute. Oh, fuck. It's to me, it speaks of apathy for life because he can tell you exactly what is in that farmhouse exactly what those people are doing because he's that like he's bored of that interesting or it just doesn't maybe not bored but you know what i mean nothing is exciting or interesting enough to keep him going now that you say that i realize that that's a long description of what the inside of this house is Mm -hmm. and i don't remember him using a single emotional word hmm I feel like all of that was this person Very is clinical. doing this, is wearing this, yeah, is it wasn't sitting like, like oh, this. Oh, by the warm fire, loving yeah. family. You're right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think you're, uh, I think maybe it's a mix of the two. It's that market family that he's now mm-hmm. reduced to not people. Yeah. Before walking away, he imagines what it'd be like to walk across this field, knock on the door, <laughs> and invite himself to dinner. Is that the vibe? Yeah, I, you know, I get that. I often imagine inviting myself to knitter, not for good company, not because I'm lonely, but I just love good dinner (laughs) and a Midwest dinner Mm. on a farm. You know, it's going to be good. If you've ever seen one of those Lifetime or Hallmark movies where somebody is walking outside in the cold in the street and walks past a giant picture window and you see the feast on the table, that's CM, the person outside looking in your window, hoping that you'll look outside and be like, let's bring her in. You know, you've just told our (laughs) listeners which of us watches Lifetime movies and it isn't me. (laughs) 
Moving on. <laughs> God, uh, this, I was so thrown off by this next section because we finally go into the motel room and it is the most goth, depressing <laughs> review I've ever read. You mean like Midwest goth? Like Definitely Midwest yeah, goth. Like yeah, like the, the famous painting. Not like <laughs> super hot vampire goth. Sorry, I have to make the distinction. You mean, wait, are you, wait, you mean American gothic? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my, words, my words would not pull together American and gothic. Nice. I, <laughs> The image came together, it, and I, I just was like, yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's just, uh, I'm going to guess you wrote down some of these descriptions. I actually, I didn't, well, I only wrote down one. Interesting. But I did write down what it did to me. Perfect. Because, so he gets to the room, and the thing that we are supposed to understand is that he knows it well. And the way that he describes each feature of it makes it seem initially kind of like you said with that first thought like, oh, that won't matter to me. Oh, because he travels a lot and so snow's in a big deal. It seems as if he's maybe stayed here before, which I don't think is out of the question. Or he's, you know, like, oh, Motel 6, they're all the same. Right. It's, this is every room I've ever stayed in. Yeah. Which also kind of gives us the reader an insight into like how sad maybe this guy's life is, how monotonous and meaningless he might feel it is. And the part that trips me up is I cannot read a king description of a hotel room <laughs> without being plagued by room 1408. So I read this whole thing as terrifying. But the one thing that actually was terrifying was that he's looking at the beds and the bedspreads yeah. the pillows tucked you know it's it's under the pillow and then it's mm -hmm. over the top and he describes it as the corpse of an infant being under there like that's what it looks like yeah. i have never ever had that come to mind when i've seen a tucked in <laughs> pillow like the shape of a pillow under a blanket have you no do you immediately think no dead baby no, far too well. Pillows are way bigger now. <laughs> what? But pillow, pe the pillows you have in a hotel—they're nice and giant now. Motel pillows back then were small and baby-like, baby-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a, a shroud wrapped. I mean, I yeah. okay. When I was in two thousand two, I had stayed in hotels <laughs> when pillows before we advanced our pillow technology. Yeah, before pillow technology caught up. <laughs> anyway, I. This gives us really a lot of insight into Alfie's state of mind, if we hadn't already picked up on it. And the the casual nature of I'm going to kill myself in this room as he's glancing around it is mm. so unsettling. And he the infant raps are the <laughs> only the first thing he mentions. <laughs> it's um, I didn't appreciate the flesh tone phone. Yeah, that was gross too. And the the lights, he before he turns on the lights and he knows the sound they're going to make and he imagines mm -hmm. all the dead flies. It's just every detail is gross. Is grotesque in some way. I don't think King can write a hotel room without <laughs> making it terrifying. This when he th this surprised me because I didn't know where it was going and for him to be unpacking or, or going through his briefcase and then taking out a gun. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he gives is that he can't go on living the way he had been living. And that's all we 
get? There are definitely hints, but def- like there's nothing concrete. Mm-mm. Because really the rest of this story is about the one thing it seems like he does care about right now or has still found it in himself to care about is his notebook. Yes, he has a little pocket notebook that fits in the breast pocket inside his coat and he's had it for seven years and all of the pages are still inside, which anybody who's owned those small spiral notebooks knows how impressive that is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He has uh, for seven years been filling this with phrases like uh, my personal favorite poopy doopy you so loopy from papillion nebraska you know i wrote down my favorite too yeah and that's my favorite (laughs) 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 because it's we find out that this is his recording of graffiti that he has found in rest stop bathrooms during his travels. He is super fascinated by them, and his fascination fascinates me. And we spend so much time with him reflecting on how these these phrases are voices on the walls, his friends, things to think about during his solitary travels, precious and important things that speak to him. He is so sad. Yeah. And I, I love how much thought he gives to what about these phrases tickles his brain. And I think I love it because, you know, Devin, studio engineer, Devin Alexander, my husband, is an English major. So much of the last 18 years of my <laughs> life have included a lot more consideration of words and how they sound and how they feel and what that could mean to someone. And so in his reflections on the aspect of the phrases you know, that makes me feel a connection to Alfie and care about him in a way I don't think I would have been able to for such a short story and not really knowing anything about this character. And I think that is really cool. And the reason he likes the one that we also like is because it's the surprise of the why at the end. Because I it's I-E, it. I-E, and then why. And so that just makes it stick out to him. I love that his two theories are this person was a borderline illiterate or a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that always the way it is? (laughs) Yeah, it feels right. After we get the breakdown of the poopy doopy loopy, there are several times we get those little things of what he thinks about other people's writings and why they did it the way they did. Mm -hmm. And the thought, the idea that he puts so much thought into the person who made the message as opposed to the message is really fun to me. (laughs) I also think it's neat and it makes sense. And I'm like just so easily astounded by simple writing rules (laughs) and tricks. The last one, maybe, that he is going to log is the title of the short story, All That You Love Will Be Carried Away. And of all the ones that we are given, that one to me is the only like beautiful one. The more you think about the phrase, (sighs) the more true it becomes. It's... It's haunting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a horrifying way to look at the world. (laughs) It it's the one that causes him to make a comment on it, which is something that he rarely does anymore because it's something he used to do when he first started doing this. But he came to feel like him adding his own ideas or thoughts about it would spoil the message. Yeah. Which I I really love. Yeah, it's like his way of just preserving it as it is, Mm -hmm. not adding anything, which I think is really cool. And the note that he added that I wanted to ask you about was 
To to read this, you must also look at the exit ramp from the Walton Rest Area back to the highway, i.e. at departing transients. Yeah. What? So this is, he is noting the exact location of this piece. Mm. So if you wanted to see this for yourself, this is where you'd go. Which I think is so fascinating that it's sticking with him so much that he feels like he needs to know where it was. Wow, I put way too much thought into this because I thought the word, the two words departing transience together made a kind of poetry in my head that I thought he was making some connection or statement on, you know, the words departing transience and all that you love will be carried away. I wonder if it, that's uh, Freudian. <laughs> For, uh, like, uh, yeah, could maybe. be accidentally intentional. Kind of the way he thinks about some of these Wow, he's either a genius or an idiot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Holy> shit. <laughs> I also love that. I don't know how it does it in the audiobook, but in the actual paper book, there is a footnote at the bottom that yeah. lists that what he writes. And yeah. I love it so much. I So the part about this that I love the most, his reflections on why he's fascinated, is the mouthfeel of <laughs> some of these that are triplets, which for like words it's called a terset i think i pronounced that right i have no idea i don't know anything about poetry okay it's just just (laughs) that feeling of like i i'm familiar with triplets from music sure so that kind of like tickled my brain too i was like yeah i get you alfie it's the this notebook that is is full oh we should note that uh, the save russian jews collect valuable prizes was also one of oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the graffitis that he wrote down. And he reflects on the fact that sometimes he goes weeks without any. And of course, he found two today on the last day. Mm-hmm. And so he's made these quote unquote final entries. And he thinks about the fact that he started writing them down, had no idea why he was doing it. It's just those fascinations. Like you said, it's whether it's the mouthfeel, whether it's the omen it gave him the feeling he got from reading it he just felt like they had to be saved you know you just made me think Hmm. this is just my interpretation of it this is probably what i would be doing if i was doing this to me this is memorializing a life that is otherwise difficult to have memory of and milestones because your day looks the same day to day even though it's different and you're traveling and you're seeing different places think about how he describes a farmhouse and the family inside that he can't see think about how he describes a hotel room as being one he knows exactly what it looks like he dreams of this hotel room because it's just the same hotel room every time there's nothing in his life that stands out or is different so these things are his way of doing that i think you're absolutely correct Because in addition to everything you said several times when he references other uh, throughout, he almost like Kingisms, he just throws them out as though Mm -hmm. they're part of the conversation. And he always remembers exactly where they are, even if that's not written down, Mm -hmm. he notes where that was from. So you're right. He has marked his his life by this. Mm -hmm. And something you said made me think of something else. (laughs) Did you notice that? Everything gets more beautiful the further away it gets from him. No, go on. The Everything he sees, everything in his life is macabre, it's drab, it's empty. And the 
the family mm. near him. Mm-hmm. That is a family that may not be emotional, but it's complete. It's functional. These bathroom stall poets are uh, happy. They are those are the people that have the emotions, even though the stalls themselves are cesspools. Yes, these are <laughs> wow, the, these yeah, are the stories. No, that's cool. Yeah. That's so weird. We're probably going so hard into this. You have but... to in a 20 page story. Otherwise, we'd be done already. It's kind of the benefit of having such a short story that you yeah. can just pick apart. We did that on Patreon with the Dead Tree. Yeah. Is that what that one was called? Yeah. We, you guys, if you haven't listened to that, that episode of On Reading, do we get real deep? <laughs> we thought that episode was going to be 10 minutes and it was like the <laughs> longest sec yes. book we covered that one. He says something else interesting to me after he's interpreting the poetry, mm-hmm. however incorrectly it may be, because he's just winging it. I like that he says, I could have gone back to school because like poetry is not a secret. Like, yeah. no, nobody's <laughs> hiding this from me. I could do it. But, to understand yeah. these things, like why they tickle him, what a triplet in word form is. Right. Yeah, I like that too. But on the other hand, he also just feels okay with the fact that he is winging it. Letting it <laughs> be a mystery because yeah. sometimes knowing isn't better. I have a very important question for you now. Okay. Which is a better book title? Don't look up here, you're pissing on your shoes. <laughs> or, I killed Ted Bundy, the secret transit code of America's highways. The second one for two <laughs> reasons. Go on. The most obvious reason being I am a true crime junkie, so I'm going to like that. And now I regret saying the most obvious reason, because the second reason is I don't have a penis, so <laughs> that first one means nothing to me. That's, you know what, good point. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, I do really do like don't look up here you're pissing on your shoes. <laughs> well, because he, he mentions uh, that uh, he had thought about writing a book, collecting mm-hmm. this notebook and turning it into a book. And he'd had some ideas for the name. Those were the two names he'd landed on. And he doesn't choose the first one because he doesn't think he can put piss on the cover of a book. <laughs> Which is right. But you, there are books that have the swear words in the title that they just asterisks out now. So nowadays that could totally be the name of the book. He should have just gone for it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Oh, also I did look this up. There are several of these books out. There are several books on Amazon that are just graffiti bathroom stalls. And are they like like coffee table books? Um, one of them I saw was, Mm. uh, the other one I couldn't really look through and I wasn't going to buy it, but (laughs) none of them, Like this would have been. Okay. Super King fan crazy thing to do would be to go to go around to rest stops and try to find some of these phrases just in the wild (laughs) or similar ones and create your version of like a companion book, like an adaptation almost in physical form of the short story. That's what we're going to do if we ever take dairy on tour. We'll stop at all the rest stops and we'll that's how we'll mark our tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Next, he calls home. Oh, and I my have, gosh. Yeah. I have some issues about this because, again, we are not given any glimpse as to why he is suicidal. We have that he um, later we find out he has pills that are pills you don't get if you're doing good. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So we are led to believe he's struggling with a pretty serious form of depression. Yep. Or he, I mean, he could have uh, a heart problem. Mm-hmm. He could have 
some other issue or he could have high blood pressure and he's being a pussy. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know is the point. Uh, he calls home and he leaves a voicemail that's a chore list, essentially, mm-hmm. to his wife and says, you know, tell our daughter mm-hmm. I love her. And then for the first time in five years ends it with I love you, then hangs up, mm-hmm. then calls back to give more chores and that, says bye. It, it This bothered me because I couldn't help but think when she hears that message, will she be concerned hearing him say I love you? For the first time in five years. Will that like be a red flag to her? Like, wait a minute. Yeah. He doesn't usually say I love you on the answering machine. Is he okay? And it it just gave me <laughs> anxiety that I then can't do anything with because <laughs> of how this ends and that we never, you know, get anything from his wife. Right. And the fact that he has a daughter too. It, yeah. it always just makes me it fills me with sorrow. Yes. Yeah. And we find it with JV, so she's junior high, early Ooh, high school. Yeah. yeah. Rough age anyway. Exactly. Um, I do love that before he makes the call back, he puts the gun in his mouth and then thinks to himself a poem so bad he would never write it down himself. <laughs> I, and he like laughs around yeah. the barrel of the gun. <laughs> it's so dark. The idea of laughing with a gun uh, barrel in your mouth is unsettling. It's very upsetting. But Right before he's going to do it, he thinks, holy shit, if I shoot myself, when they walk in here, the first thing they're going to see is me and the mess I made. Sure. But the second thing they're going to see is this notebook. And he imagines some main cop walking in, using the pen he's been writing with to flip the book open and seeing the ravings of a madman. Just nonsense after (laughs) nonsense that ends... With the phrase, all that you love will be carried away. Which will be taken (laughs) as a suicide note or a statement, I guess. I I love the detail he describes this imagining in like from how they'll find his body, like how his body is going to fall after he shoots himself. And it just it's everything. He's like a writer (laughs) (laughs) with the detail. He imagines things. Then he decides, oh, he thinks that the obvious solution, which the first thing I thought of was, all right, we'll get rid of it. And he says, like, thinks about flushing it down the toilet and then imagines him arm deep in the toilet because it got clogged and pulling it out. <laughs> and then he just also doesn't want to get rid of it because it's been with him for seven years. It's been such a big part of his life. It's almost like he does have something to live for and can think about the future and plan for the future because he's thinking about writing a book which is a good sign if you are suicidal that you can even think about things you can even think about future things yes because when you're in that state of mind it's a lot of things are just very like present and there is no ability to think beyond the pain you're feeling now and remember like oh what i'm feeling in this moment right now isn't the way i'm going to feel every day for the rest of my life i am going to feel better you just can't see that hope so it this it's it makes you more and more anxious reading this because you're seeing oh there there is something there is hope but you're not sure if he sees it that way or if it'll be enough to change his mind he then thinks about um being able to hide it and I love the little prankster in him comes out because he's like, I'll hide it somewhere in the room, like maybe behind the this cute painting. And you mean terrifying <laughs> this, this horrifying <laughs> painting. And someday 
someone's going to bump into it. A maid is going to dust and it's going to fall out. Someone will pick it up and they'll flip through it and be like, oh, my God, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I'll have been long gone and it'll be just this wild thing someone finds and it'll exist again with them, essentially, which, you know, that book, all that he loves being carried away by someone else. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and uh, then he thinks about his medication. He thinks I'm on these pills. I have pills in my pocket. I have pills in my car. They don't match, which I mm-hmm. find interesting. Mm-hmm. And that'll maybe lead them to think I have a drug problem. So they'll search my hotel They'll search it, find the notebook. Then it's even extra suspicious because I went to the effort to hide it. And then it's for sure my suicide note. And I'm an insane person. (sighs) And he thinks about the effects that that would have on his wife and daughter. That was a rabbit hole I wasn't anticipating. Same. Yeah. Because it, it again shows, you know, he's thinking about how this will affect other people, which doesn't always happen easily when someone is at that point. Well, and he thinks... A lot about his daughter, which I was shocking for me that he was taking so much care in the idea of, yeah, my wife is going to hear people whisper behind her back that her husband was uh, a madman, but my daughter is going to have to hear it from her friends who then giggle after. Yeah, like his wife can handle it and it will probably be done more tactfully than a teenager would. So what my daughter is going to deal with is even worse than what my wife will deal with. And then it's still like, all right, which was telling me that either this person has become so depressed they can't see the forest for the trees or the medications are hinting at a terminal illness. And the other idea I had was something if there is anything for dying on a work trip (laughs) kind of a thing. Oh, like benefits, like life insurance. Yeah, I don't know. If that's like there are so many motives he could mm-hmm. have that could make sense to him that we will never know because yeah. he doesn't spend the time thinking <laughs> about them here. Yeah. Instead, he goes outside to smoke some more and stare at the farmhouse, reflecting on how different life on the road is versus the people who get to stay settled and, and live their lives, which is something that I also didn't really think about. Yes, sad salesman is a trope. That Mm -hmm. gets used often. And I always wonder, because that era was pretty much over in our lifetime. Yeah. And I always imagined that people who did sales like that wanted to do it. That's the lifestyle they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. So, because why else would you be on the road so much away from everything if that's not what made you feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. or happy? And then you realize, like, as an adult that... Man, sometimes you just have to do what puts money on the table no matter yeah. how much it kills you. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't realize the solitude and loneliness mm-hmm. of something until you're in it. Or maybe you just change like what you want changes. And so if what he wanted in life changed, but he's been doing this for 20 years or maybe whenever he started feeling this way, however many years into it he was, he felt trapped in this life because he has a family mm-hmm. and maybe they are reliant on his income in such a way that he doesn't have the flexibility to suddenly alter course. To go back to school for poetry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so he reflects on the things he's seen that he hasn't written down. One of them being a basin full of blood in a bathroom. I 
if that was my <laughs> life, if those were the things I frequently saw, I would be depressed. That's not a that's not a good thing to see. <laughs> you have to see beauty in the world, and you're not going to see it in a disgusting bathroom filled with blood. The idea that he has about wondering if anybody ever even called the police, which that's acknowledges he did also too. didn't call the police. Yeah. It also made me think, what if it's uh, canonically the same bathroom from the other short story where the guy beats the shit out of the guy at the rest stop mute. bathroom? No. Oh, no. Uh, rest stop. Well, and there's Mute, which is also a traveling guy. That is a hitchhiker yeah. story. We don't know yeah, if that guy stop. killed anybody on the road. Just a fun. <laughs> also, how long does a public space need to be filled with blood before that's taken care of? So whosever blood that was, they can't be too far, right? Or too long gone. Like if they were murdered, <laughs> their body might still be warm. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Ah, that's, I mean, questions we'll never have answers to. If you see a bunch of blood somewhere run away so you're safe and then call for help <laughs> <laughs> yes Just tell somebody you found a lot of blood yeah that's all <laughs> i found a lot of blood <laughs> click click <laughs> uh, so we ha- are standing out here in the field he's run course of all these thoughts and he decides that the only thing he can do is chuck this notebook into the field that's covered in snow right now the snow will bury it and then in the spring, the farmer's going to plow the field and it'll maybe bury it or wind will blow it somewhere. Either way, I will have been so far long gone before anybody sees it. It'll never be attached to me. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's safe to keep existing, essentially. Yeah, because he just can't stand the idea of something happening to this notebook mm-hmm. or it being tied to his death. And he goes to baseball, chuck it and <laughs> just can't can't do it. Then he decides to do something I found extremely interesting. Mm -hmm. He stares at the farmhouse and he thinks by this point, it's all gone dark. The family has gone to bed, presumably. And he thinks if a light turns on in that house in the next 60 seconds, I'll make the book. I will. I'll go inside. I'll start writing the book. And what I I love that he immediately goes into the feelings right after that. He says, if I write the book, I have to talk about what it means to uh, the way that when you step out of your car at a rest stop on these cold, windy days, the wind sounds like voices, the way the, uh, the way it feels when a semi runs past you going Mm-hmm. 80 miles an hour like all these things intimate things yeah, yeah. That it's are like so... putting yourself on display exactly it may just be the way i read it but he's even saying things like describing how the the way the areas smell like a constant stale piss but it <laughs> yeah. still feels positive the way he's sharing because it's these intimate details and it shows he's again he has the ability to look to the future and mm-hmm. plan for the future which is a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a way to share with others what life has been like for him. Mm-hmm. To share the solitude he's felt. And I think that's something he wants. He, seems like he just wants to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But all he has to do is count to 60. If the lights turn on, he'll make the book. If the lights do not turn on, he's going to go inside and shoot himself. Either way. 
And so the story ends with him in the field counting. Did you expect it to end that way? Ambiguous? Yes. That's what I assume. Because Stephen King's note. I am so happy we got that (laughs) note. Yes. It's fascinating because it wasn't initially written to be ambiguous. It was a happy ending. I'm so happy to know that. I am too, because now I'm going to take it as, I I read it as not ambiguous and you went back inside. I think that that's a a funny way that King got around agreeing what his publisher (laughs) said, but then also being like, yeah, but I'm going to tell everybody that I think he makes it. And some of the, some of the author's notes in each story in everything's eventual or at the beginning, this one is placed at the end. So he doesn't ruin it, which Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, but (laughs) right. Yeah. It's sort of like sticking it, not like sticking it in a, in a shitty way, but just like, yeah, okay. So this story left me thinking this thought, the uncertainty that we are left with at the end, ignoring King's note and my statement that I'm going to take it that way. (laughs) It reflects the uncertainty of suicide that the people left behind are left with which is so fucking dark (laughs) to me because i have someone in my life who committed suicide it's just all of the strange things that go through your head all of the thoughts and questions that you can never ask that person things that you will never be able to understand those things are truly haunting they They don't just go away. There's no closure for that. You have to find a way to learn to live with it and be okay with it. And obviously that takes time and sometimes that takes help too, which we will post resources and stuff in the show notes. But I wanted to have just a brief talk about the way people refer to suicide because, you know, language is important and it changes all the time and it's hard to keep up with. And I work in a school and I've had to deal with students who have committed suicide and and how we as staff respond to that in the most appropriate ways. And so I feel more confident about this subject because we have to be sort of on on we have to be on it when it comes to you know what now research is saying is the best reaction and strategy for that. So just so everybody knows if people are unsure according to the webs and the researches the way that this topic is reported in the media can actually increase suicide risk which is why people do get so excited about the verbiage that we use. That would happen if for example and it's not like I'm not saying it's intentional when it's reported that way but People are just trying to find a way to speak kindly and be nice and soften this horrible thing and make people feel better. So what inadvertently happens is that it can be romanticized, uh, glamorized, and spoken of in gratuitous detail. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are are bad ideas because they can increase that risk. In, in the schools, for example, and this is really hard to to feel like okay doing, but you have to do it. If a student commits suicide, their friends want to make a memorial at their locker and, you know, just put things up and it makes them feel comforted and good. But we are trained to tell them no, that they can't do that. And instead, all of our response in the school for that day and the next several days, like a team of people gather and go to a school and set up camp there 
and we focus the response of a student suicide as resources and supports for the friends and family. So there's like a specific protocol for interviewing people and giving them space to talk and recognizing signs that they might need additional help. So you are supposed to refer to it rather than saying committed suicide because that those words have a lot of like meaning wrapped around them. You're supposed to say died of suicide. So mm. you have two different messages with the way that that's phrased. So if anyone was wondering, well, how do I talk about this or refer to it? That's kind of the, the current best way we have of discussing suicide. That's really valuable. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Do you want to get to ratings? Yes. Um, I'm going to go first. This is 20 pages of sadness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was really happy about it. And it was a quick read. It easily would read again. I really enjoyed it. Five out of five blue chambray shirts. I know. I feel weird because it's such a dark subject matter and we, you know, we're laughing and making jokes, but I think that's also normal. You know, you find yeah. ways to find humor in moments and, and talk about difficult things. I also really enjoyed it. I'm not sure there's a Stephen King short story that I wouldn't give five out of five blue chambray shirts to. They're all amazing. <laughs> and that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, Thank you for listening. For Joshua Khan, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, explanation rendered the exotic mundane. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to All That You Love Will Be Carried Away from Everything's Eventual. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, connect with us for fun discussions on our Discord. The link is in the show notes. Visit our Etsy store for merchandise and sign up for our Patreon for monthly bonus episodes. You can also keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. We love getting emails from you and you can email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And finally, I know we all have Google, but sometimes when you're at your lowest, you can't always think of ways to feel better and you need a friendly reminder. So listeners, we value and cherish you. And if you're struggling to value and cherish yourself, Call or text 988. That's the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can connect with them 24-7 and it's confidential. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>